Mega Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today, again, celebrating the 2022 edition of this State of the Science issue. Those of you who've been reading the journal for a while will know that this is one of our, if not the flagship issue that we produce every year, where we make a special effort to get high-level scholars writing on a theme that, that seems timely and interesting to the breadth of the field. This year's theme, we titled The Inevitable Triad of Self, Social, and Situation, to prompt some reflections on those three aspects of different educational activities and how they might intersect with one another. And I'm very pleased today to be speaking with Meredith Vanstone, who's Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine at McMaster University in Hamilton, just across the country from where I'm sitting. And we're going to discuss the paper that Meredith and Lawrence Grusin have in that issue entitled Thinking About Social Power and Hierarchy in Medical Education. Meredith, welcome. I'm very glad you could make the time to do this. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. The title Thinking About Social Power obviously cues people to where we started with this conversation about you contributing to this issue. Power is undoubtedly a concept that people understand at least at an intuitive level whenever it's named. But what is social power and what was the core phenomenon that you've built this paper around? Sure. So I feel like you're starting me off with a really complex question. <laughs> it's only two um, words, social power. <laughs> it's only two words, but it is a concept which people have been thinking about and writing about for, I don't know, as long as people have been thinking and writing, I think. And in contemporary academia, there's a whole bunch of different ways of thinking about social power, many of which are founded upon disciplinary assumptions. So when we talk about social power in an interdisciplinary way in a field like medical education, we're using one word to mean a whole bunch of different ideas that in some places can be conflicting or directly opposed or congruent, but just separate. There's a bunch of stuff going on there. But how I think about social power is the ability to influence the behavior and the thoughts of other people. Behavior and thoughts of other people and having an influence. And you open your paper by talking about that happening at micro and macro levels. Does that reflect different ways in which one can have an influence or is it an added variable when you offer that definition? Yeah, so I think that some scholars will write about social power as happening at a micro or interactional level that's really between two individuals and being about social relationships and how people interact in a way which is informed by both the relationship that they have with each other as individuals, but also maybe their position within an institution or the knowledge that they have by virtue of their education or training, and that all sort of influences the interaction that they have with each other. Other scholars would probably forefront the macro or the structural aspects of power. And these are sort of thinking about much broader societal structures and how ideas about our identities, so whether it's gender or race or class, whether it's our participation in different institutions, education, religion, whatever it could be, sort of embed us in these larger structures of power and influence our interactions that way. And why is it an important concept in a field like medical education? What led you to believe it was the priority area that you wanted to focus upon? Sure. So I'll give you a brief answer and then I'll kind of take you back and talk about how I got to be interested in the topic. 
So I think that most of us who are engaged, whether we're engaged in research about medical education or whether we're engaged in educational activities directly, we would recognize that this is all about interacting with other people. It's about learning through the workplace, about interacting with colleagues, with patients, with learners, with supervisors. And so I think that that's the sort of socially embedded setting that we're working in in medical education, and that's what makes social power so relevant to the field. I come to this idea sort of backwards by thinking about different topics or different problems and then starting over time to recognize the relevance of social power to the way that learners or to the way that educators choose to act and how power sort of shapes the context that they're acting within. And I kind of mentioned earlier that there's these sort of different disciplinary ways of thinking of power. And so for me, as someone who didn't train in a discipline, my PhD is in health professional education, I kind of came into it as if there was a whole bunch of different conversations happening in a room. And I was sort of trying to pick out the bits that made sense and in my own mind, sort of sew together an understanding of what this meant for my work or what this meant for medical education, which is difficult because we're often using the same words to mean different things. And there are these really deep bodies of understanding about what this idea means for different people in different places. So coming as an interdisciplinary scholar, it's kind of up to people like me to think about which conceptions of power we want to engage with and what makes sense for the work that we're doing and to form our own understanding of what power means and how it can be helpful for our research or educational activities. And that variability of definition you just described makes me think of one of the other aspects of your paper that I found particularly interesting is hierarchy. That other part of your title is another word that I'm sure we all just use quite blithely. It doesn't seem like it needs unpacked, but you highlight that even that word has multiplicity of meaning and might be treated differently by different people or in different contexts. Can you unpack that for our listeners? Sure. So one thing that I've noticed in medical education literature, and which I'm also, you know, guilty of doing myself, is that we often talk about hierarchy as if this is something that everybody understands, and it refers to some people having more power than others, and it's always bad, and it's about how people who have a higher level of power or higher status are enacting that power on the lower individuals in order to get what they want. And I think that, sure, that can be true. Like hierarchy absolutely means uh, social stratification by virtue of power or resources or access. But I think what we in medical education tend to not spend a lot of time thinking about is how those hierarchies can be helpful in some circumstances and how power doesn't always flow from the top to the bottom, but sometimes people can exercise their agency or try to influence upwards and how there's often all kinds of power flow amongst individuals of the same rank of whatever that clinical hierarchy is, for example. And so how does your thinking about that intersection between power and hierarchy leads you to think about what trainees might do or what faculty might do relative to what deans might do in efforts to try to optimize the education that's being provided within our field? I think that for most of us in medical education, the type of hierarchy that we probably think of quickest or the one that comes first to mind is the clinical hierarchy, where we've got the staff consultant physician at the top, and then we might have a fellow, we might have a senior resident, a junior resident, a medical student, all kind of working together in this team where their roles are really clearly defined and where that hierarchy is quite clear about who's making the decisions, who's deferring to whom, who's asking for advice or delegating tasks 
to whom. And as I started to think about this idea about how we handle hierarchies in medical education more critically, I started really paying attention to when this concept gets evoked in studies. And very often, you know, not all, but very often I notice that there's sort of this gesture to the hierarchy without really it being unpacked or without necessarily even being a main part of many studies, but this sort of gesturing to the concept that this hierarchy is negative, that it can be sort of repressive where maybe junior members of the hierarchy are feeling not safe to speak up about perhaps a patient safety issue, whole literature on that or where they might not feel comfortable to ask for more assistance or supervision or admit that they don't know something and ask for clarification, and that there's sort of this negative impact that comes from hierarchies. And I think, sure, that's true. You know, there's lots of evidence about all of these impacts, but it kind of neglects to think about the other function of hierarchy. So we can certainly think of positive and safety related functions of hierarchies. There's somebody who's kind of the most responsible for a decision in an emergency situation. It's really clear who's going to be calling the shots and who's going to be taking the orders. And when you're dealing with life or death situations in a really urgent manner, that can be really helpful. But there's other ways that hierarchies can be helpful too. They set up role models, they set up people to look to, people to go to for information or advice. They enable trust and understanding to be formed in groups of people who haven't really worked together in the past. But, you know, the medical clerk shows up for a new rotation and gets introduced to the junior resident and the senior resident and already has quite a bit of information about how those individuals are going to be interacting with each other and themselves and with patients. And so there can be some benefits to it too, but it's also, it's just something that I think in medical education and medical environment, we're very used to and haven't spent a lot of time thinking about maybe what the lower status individuals are doing to exercise their own agency or autonomy or try to influence the behavior of people who stand above them in the hierarchy. We maybe don't spend very much time thinking about how hierarchies change. We maybe don't spend a lot of time thinking about other hierarchies that are present in the environment. So here I can think of a bunch of different examples. We could think about hierarchies of intra-professional specialties or interprofessional professions that are in the clinical workplace. We could think of more structural types of power related to the gender, race, or class identities of the different individuals in the hierarchy and how that kind of influences the way that people respond to each other all the time. Of course. And, and you've just named right off the top of your head a long list of areas that are ripe for more better research around this topic and how hierarchy or power might play a role. Do you have any particular advice for how people who are interested can start to embed thinking about hierarchy or power into their medical education research? A little bit. So I guess my first piece of advice would be to just think about it. And even if you don't feel comfortable with this concept, or it's something that you haven't spent a lot of time with before to ask among your research team, the question of how power might be operating relevant to whatever phenomenon you're studying, and how you might try to incorporate this idea, perhaps as an explanation or as a predictive or hypothesizing factor about whatever's going on with what you're studying. And then I guess from there, you need to learn more about it. And this is a struggle that I know really well, for sure. I think that 
in our field, we've had lots of experts who really have a deep disciplinary knowledge of power and bring that to their work. So there are many examples of medical education scholars who are working very deeply with these concepts, and we can see how it's been applied to this field. But then outside of medical education, there are many, many social science disciplines that have very rich literatures of how one can think about hierarchy in the field of higher education or education outside of the health professions. There's a rich history of work. And so I think it sort of behooves us as medical education researchers to reach outside of our own field and to look a bit more broadly and see how people are working with this idea in other areas and bringing it back in. I just saw a paper. I don't know, in the last couple of weeks that Mathieu Albert wrote for Perspectives of Medical Education about the sort of insular nature of this field, where we really tend to look mostly to other ideas which have already been written about for a medical education journal in the context of medical education, and so might be missing some really important key foundational helpful concepts which have been written about in other disciplines, but which are really ready to be applied and to contribute to our understanding in this field. And my first thought when I read that paper was absolutely social power is on that list. This is something that's so well developed in many different places that I think we could really learn from those other fields. Yeah, no doubt. And thinking of that need to learn more about this, though, makes me believe that there's no better place for listeners to start than with this particular paper that you've offered as it tries to pull together all those concepts. And so it's a wonderful access point to the ideas that you've just been listening to. If anybody is interested in learning more, I highly encourage you to go seek out Meredith Van Stone's work entitled Thinking About Social Power and Hierarchy in Medical Education. And you'll find it in the January 2022 issue of Medical Education. Congratulations on a wonderful paper, Meredith. And I look forward to seeing where this leads you. Thank you. Thanks so much. 